This evening's message, our Christmas Eve message, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And the title for this evening's message is God's Goodness Personified. From Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And the Word of God says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather together on this sacred and holy night and reflect upon the most amazing gift that has ever been given to humanity 2,000 years ago, we stand amazed by your goodness. We stand amazed by your grace. Lord Jesus, we stand amazed by your willingness to step out of the glory of heaven where for all of eternity you were worshipped by the angelic host day and night singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet you were willing to step out of that glory to take on human flesh, to be born an infant child in Bethlehem, so that you might do for humanity what we could never do for ourselves, to live the perfect life of obedience to the law for us, and to pay the penalty for sin which we so greatly deserved. And so we pray now, Lord God, that you would direct our attention heavenward. We pray that with the angelic host of 2,000 years ago, we would worship you, Lord God, through your word. We pray that you would speak to us this evening. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thousands of years earlier, Adam brought sin into the world that God had created. God had created Adam and Eve and placed them in a perfect environment. He had placed them in the Garden of Eden, a place where there was no sin, no suffering, no misery, no violence, no toiling. A world where they had only one law to keep. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, 
That is exactly what they did. And they did so because Satan had successfully caused them to question God's goodness. It's really the reason we always sin. is because God, Satan or our flesh causes us to question the goodness of God. One of the things that Satan says to Eve in the garden, he says to her, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, of the fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God doesn't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God does not want you to be like Him. God does not want competition. God is actually being selfish. God is withholding something good from you. You won't actually die, but instead... You'll be improved. Your life will be much better for you. And isn't this so often the same lie that we continue to buy into time and time again? You don't have to obey God's word. God is simply trying to keep something good from you. If you do it your way, life will be better for you. But sadly, Adam and Eve believed him. They believed the serpent, and they questioned God's goodness. They came to believe God is not as good as he claims to be. And so they took matters into their own hands. And of course, we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve failed to gain something they did not have. They found nothing, and they lost everything. And yet, in the midst of that horrible ordeal, the goodness of God was on full display. The very goodness, the very goodness that they had questioned is what prevented God from erasing their existence the very goodness that they had questioned in God is what moves God in compassion to make a promise to someday send a Redeemer to undo what they had ruined. To reverse what Adam failed to do. Someone who would crush the head of the serpent and begin to reverse the effects of the curse. In Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Thousands of years later, that promise would be kept. That promise would be fulfilled. God's goodness is once again revealed. 
In fact, the goodness of God is not only revealed, the goodness of God in the incarnation of Christ is personified. The goodness of God is made flesh and blood. In the birth of Christ, the goodness of God takes on human flesh and becomes man. That is what this passage that we're looking at this evening is all about. That is what we celebrate tonight and what we celebrate tomorrow morning. We read in our text in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Scripture says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. There are several things that are worth noting about the opening lines of our text. Luke begins, or Luke rather being a first-rate historian, begins by citing some historical facts. This is because Luke wants to clearly place this monumental event in its historical setting. Luke wants his readers, specifically Theophilus, to whom this book was written. We see that in chapter 1, verse 3. Luke wants his readers to know with absolute certainty that the events that he writes about are things that are absolutely true. This is always the point of making historical references in any kind of literature. When a writer makes historical references in his writing, he is inviting the reader to check the facts. I didn't make this up. Everything that I write about is absolutely true. In fact, that is exactly what he says to Theophilus in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, the things that I write to you, I have written to them and have researched them that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's gospel is written around the year A.D. 62 is when he wrote this book. Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman Empire from 31 B.C. to A.D. 14. It would have been quite easy for Luke's contemporary audience to check the facts. This wasn't that long ago. And as if that wasn't enough, he then adds that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. We know with historical certainty that Quirinius was governor of Syria in A.D. 6 and 7. And we know also that there was a census that was conducted at that time. But that would have been far too late for the birth of Christ, as we know that Christ was born during the rule of King Herod. We know that from the Gospel of Matthew. And King Herod died in the year 4 B.C. So what do we do with this? Well, there are two likely possibilities. First of all, the Greek word that is being translated as while in your text can also carry the meaning of before. In other words, the text can read this way. This was the first registration before Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's one possibility. 
A second possibility is that there is some evidence. There is some evidence from ancient inscriptions that Quirinius may have been governor of Syria at an earlier point in time. He may have been governor twice, once before A.D. 6 and 7 and once after A.D. 6 and 7. And as much as we like to think that we have all of the official government Roman documents that ever existed, we don't. The reality is the vast majority of official Roman government documents have been lost through time. The point is this, Luke never would have written these historical facts so close to the time of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius had they not been true. It would have been very easy for his contemporary audience to go back and research the facts. But then Luke tells us that all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Luke is doing several important things here. Number one, he is telling us that Joseph and Mary are living in Nazareth, of Galilee. And Nazareth, as I said earlier, was really a very shabby town. No one wanted to be known as being from Nazareth. I mentioned it earlier this morning. Remember the words of Nathaniel to Philip when he says, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds by saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? No one wants to be known from being from Nazareth. Jesus is raised in the lowest of towns, but his father is from Bethlehem, the city of David. Likely, Joseph had to return to Bethlehem because either he or his family may have owned land there because this was not a common practice of the Roman government to make everybody return back to their ancestral land to their place of birth and so it raises the question among scholars and historians why did it happen at this moment in history it may be that joseph or his family owned land in bethlehem and thus for tax purposes and the purpose of valuating land every must everyone must return to the place of their birth or the place of their family where they may own land for the purpose of, of taxation so that you can be there when they value the property and determine how much you must pay the government on a yearly basis. Thus, there's two important truths that are being revealed here. First, Jesus is the legitimate heir to the throne of David. Jesus is the legitimate heir. Bethlehem is called the city of David because that is the birthplace of King David 1,000 years earlier. Thus, both King David and Jesus, the son of David, were born in Bethlehem. Both of them are born there. This is hugely important. 
in light of the prophecy that is given to King David about his future son, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Then the angel Gabriel confirms this to Mary back in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, saying this, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so the first thing we see is that the promise given to David 1,000 years earlier has come to fruition. It has been fulfilled. That promise has been kept. And secondly, that the prophecy regarding Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, has also been fulfilled through the sovereign providence of God. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Thus, God sovereignly, God sovereignly orchestrates historical events in order to ensure the prophecy of Micah 5.2 and the promise given to David 1,000 years earlier would be fulfilled. So why, if this is not what's traditionally done, why does Caesar Augustus order that everybody return to his place of birth in order to complete this census? Because God ordained it. Because God moves the hand of the most powerful man known in the world at that time. Thus, both King David and David's greater son, Jesus, are born in Bethlehem. But there's another significant message that is being conveyed here in this text. It would not have been lost on Luke's first century audience. In the first century Roman world, Caesar Augustus had taken upon himself the status of divinity. He had taken upon himself a divine status, proclaimed himself to be a god and to be worshipped as a god. For example, there is an inscription that has been discovered which reads like this, quote, divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. That is how Caesar Augustus wanted to be thought of. Yet here in this little town of Bethlehem, the angel tells Mary in chapter 1, verse 35, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. During the reign of the one who claimed to be the Son of God, the actual Son of God, the actual Savior of the world is born in Bethlehem. And then in verses 6 and 7, our text says, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The actual Son of God, the true Son of God, the Savior of the world is laying in a manger. Jesus is born into humble beginnings in order to be accessible by all people. People born to royalty are only accessible to the rich and powerful, but Jesus is the gift of God that is given for all people. For the rich and poor, black and white, male and female, slave and free. Jesus is the goodness of God in human form because the same God who curses the serpent and curses Adam and Eve and then makes a promise to send a redeemer is the same God who breaks into space, time, and history in order to solve the problem that man created. Jesus is the goodness of God in human form, and this is what we celebrate. Let us pray. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, again, we praise you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, especially on this night as we depart from this place reflecting upon the greatest gift that was given to humanity 2,000 years ago. Lord God, we pray that tonight and tomorrow we would ever remember that Christmas is not about the gifts. It's not about the presents. It's not about the decorations. It's not about the cards. It's about Jesus Christ. And so we worship you. We praise you. We adore you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.